You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein. Today's episode, Confessions. Once, a friend of mine was in line just ahead of me at the ATM. When I got up to the machine, it still said, Would you like another transaction? So I pushed yes, then pushed balance to see what he had in his account. Then I withdrew all but $19 and took his card, and I threw it in the trash later that night. I stole two small packets of Christmas ornaments because I didn't have the money and I needed something cheerful to make me happy. I stole my roommate's computer. I took it home for Christmas and sold it on eBay. I've had a British online friend now for two years. She thinks I'm a 17-year-old boy from New York. I'm actually a 49-year-old woman from Australia. Every couple of months, I drop my son off at daycare, then call in sick at work. I go home and smoke dope all day long. My wife doesn't know this. She doesn't even know I smoke dope. I'm an IT manager. I've often sabotaged computers at work so they fail, and then I'm called upon to fix them. Many look up to me as some sort of MacGyver-esque being that can fix anything. In addition, I sit back behind my computer screen and read email passing through the server. This anonymous manipulation makes me feel as though I could do anything to my coworkers, particularly things that could ruin their lives. I'm 48 years old, and I've worked as a pharmacist for the past 23 years. Over the last two years, I've developed an addiction to a certain medication. Normally, it would be next to impossible for me to obtain it, but I have one customer who comes in regularly. She's 84 and has an inoperable tumor that causes her pain. I've been stealing a little bit of her medication for the past two years. Sometimes when I'm on the bus, I pretend I'm asleep so that I don't have to give up my seat for any old or disabled people. I flirt with guys to get what I want. I got a free pizza today just by talking to a waiter and calling him over to the table. Then I asked his name. I use their names a lot. I pretended like I gave him my number, but it was some fake number I made up. I was hammered on whiskey. I decided to steal someone's coat from the crowded bar. I've never done anything like this. I threw it over my shoulder and walked out of the place. Then the jacket got yanked right off me by its owner. He really should have beaten the crap out of me, but he didn't. Sometimes an item in a vending machine has almost but not quite fallen. So if you buy that thing, you might get two of them. I always try to get two things in that situation, even if I have to buy something I don't want. That way I have two things I don't want for the price of one. I wore the same pants for 37 days straight. I never changed my socks. I just wear the same pair for about a month. No one really notices. I have the scar on my knuckles from punching the ceiling of my friend's basement in a fit of wild dancing. There was a lot of blood. I envy the innocence and ignorance of babies. 
One time when I was seven, I watched my eight-month-old brother sleeping quietly, and I slapped him, just so he would need me. I hate God, if he exists, for creating acne in the first place. It's pointless and painful and has no purpose whatsoever on this earth. So many miserable bastards would be happy, productive people if it weren't for them feeling so damn ugly all the time. I love skin. Nice, smooth skin. I hate my own gross skin. I feel like clawing it off every time I look in the mirror. My spoiled stepson can't share anything, even down to a jar of raspberry jam, his favorite. I started spitting in his pristine jam jar. It gives me such satisfaction every morning seeing him enjoy his toast, not knowing a thing. I once owned a pet ferret. After a couple of weeks, I couldn't be bothered feeding it, mainly because I was an alcoholic. I just left it in a cage outside, and over a period of time, grass grew up over the cage. When we moved, I finally checked the cage. The ferret was gone. His body must have either decayed or he got so thin he escaped through the bars of the cage. I never really felt bad about it either. I used to work at a horse farm. One day I saw a hole in the field, and I knew it was dangerous for the horses. Yet I kept forgetting to tell anyone. I was young, but I wasn't ignorant, just lazy. Then one day a sweet little horse got her foot caught in the hole. She broke her shoulder, and I watched as the vet put her down. I hate myself for believing his stories and telling me he loved me. I hate him for laughing about me behind my back and saying nasty things about me to his workmates. I hate the stupid romance bull that women are led to believe. That is, if he's quiet, he must be shy. Try this. If he's quiet, perhaps he's just a devious bastard plotting his next move. My husband was terrible to me in every way you can imagine. He lied, stole, and drugged his way through the first two years of our marriage. Right after I had our first son, he went to prison for a year, and I thought I'd finally moved on. He got out, and within a month I was pregnant again, and within another month he was gone again. Now I've got two kids I'm struggling to raise on my own. No support from him, no contact at all in nearly two years. Nothing. I don't even know where he is. And I still love him. How disgusting is that? My stupid brain. I'm envious of every girl you've ever kissed, thought of, dreamed of, or even looked at. I only want you to look at me, kiss me, dream of me. Why will this never come true? I would be such an amazing boyfriend if someone would only give me a chance.
Hi, Richard. Jonathan. Hi. Hi there. Uh, sh- should I refer to you by your name, or do you, would you rather that uh, we use another name? Uh, no, that, that would be fine. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, uh, I feel no shame. That'd be fine. Um, have you ever told anyone about this before? Well, this is a new thing. I had to work up the gumption to even share it with the best of my friends. And uh, they were they were bemused at first, mm-hmm. and then I saw worry. Could you explain how and when the whole thing started with the birds? Well, it it was about three uh, years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I happened to take the two weeks off of work. Um, what what kind of what, what line of work do you do? Well, I, I'm actually uh, I'm a psychotherapist and a sex and a couple therapist. Hmm. Yeah, I was on vacation and uh, you know hoping to get a lot of uh, you know reading done for pleasure. And in fact, my my neighborhood is uh, an island uh, in the St. Lawrence, renowned um, for its bird populations. Basically, it was a beautiful um, spring uh, afternoon. Uh, and uh, towards late afternoon when the birds tend to come out, and I uh, was reading, or trying to read, Virgil's The, the Aenid, and uh, I, I, I just couldn't compete, you know, with the, it was really intense fluttering, you know, I was hearing fluttering noises, and it's, it's not something you can really ignore. Mm-hmm. And, and I looked around and saw, saw the birds uh, perched, you know, on the railing of the deck, and uh, I thought they were grooming, but uh, they weren't fluttering for grooming purposes. They were copulating. How could you be certain of this? What happens uh, is that uh, the female will tend to crouch in front of the male, and, and she has uh, very, very fluffed feathers and... and uh, I guess quivering wings. Of course, the male gets excited, and he will, will generally hop from side to side behind her. And then he approaches, and he starts to peck under her tail. That's that's the thing that gives it away. So this is not a grooming thing. No, this is full fledged uh, sexual passion, and you know this goes on for about two minutes, and and there's probably close to a hundred pecks. You know, at first I was I was I was shy to look. I mean, let's face it. Really? I'm not that far out out left field. I was shy. Yeah, I was shy. Shy? Looking, yeah, shy, shy. I, I just sort of snuck a a, a peek or two, and uh, and that's about it. I, I I said, okay, I'm still on the on the right side of the line here. You know. Hmm. Gradually, I began to unabashedly uh, stare. I I. I was hooked. I have a thing for birds. And uh, describe to me what it looks like. Are you are you sitting in a lawn chair with binoculars? Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, right up close. Uh, I'm uh, uh, they've come to feel comfortable with me. Well, of course, I, I am a I am a uh, couple and sex therapist. So you know, it may be that I. So my professional uh, 
you know, I give uh, I give a lot of feeling. Uh, I, I I direct a lot of feeling, a lot of, of genuine feeling, and uh, towards them, and uh, and I think, uh, you know, I think uh, it's reciprocated. One of the things that you said you notice that like when when they when they go at it that uh, it involves you use the word passion. Yes, I believe that they are making love. Okay, and not just the F, uh, asterisk, 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 NG. They're not just doing that. They, they, they are making love. And, and I wish to become as much a part of their act, I mean, real close up, as is possible. Like, how, how close are you? Well, I can get quite close, uh, uh, especially to the morning doves. Um, as long as I walk very, very slowly. Sometimes I make uh, chirping noises. Can you share some of those chirping noises that you do? Well, it, it's, you know, I'm not a professional chirper. Or anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, it's something I've really never done in public. But it's kind of like... And that scares away the squirrels. But, but it somehow transfixes the morning doves. And they give me direct eye contact, and I. What I found is, is that I believe they linger. That that our eye contact lingers. Your eye contact with them. Our eye contact. You and the birds. Yes. I mean, in that moment, I. Uh, I can't say I've ever felt a closer connection with another being. Are, are you in a relationship? Yes, yes. I, I'm actually, um, for the time being, I'm married. And uh, I, I hope to continue to be. But I, this is one thing I've had a little trouble uh, bringing up uh, with my wife. I have a thing for birds. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of uh, soft-pedaled it to my wife up till now and uh, kind of portrayed it as a, as a hobby. Uh huh. Yeah. If someone came in to to see you in your capacity as a sex therapist, and told you that they felt similarly to the way that you feel about birds, would would you be tempted to want to embrace them as a as a soulmate? Well, I I'm sure that I would stick to my you know my my, my you know even in that situation I would stick to my professional requirement you know and simply you know you know we're there to talk about him and not about me um, but it's funny when you ask that I I honestly put myself in that situation and my first reaction would be my God this guy is twisted you know <laughs> see how easy it is to judge I think I'm one of a kind. I, I'm not sure that I'm exactly proud of it. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to uh, assume that's the case, but certainly uh, from the reaction I get, uh, I've frankly become a bit uh, reticent to even bring it up. Um, it, it, it's, it's a pretty nice day outside today. Yeah. Are, are the birds out yet in your yard? I'll, I'll go out there. Uh, maybe I'll take the, the portable phone and, and see if we can't drum up some uh, excitement.
they're out there. And they're they're out there. They're back. They're they're just about everywhere. You can hear their passion. Oh wow. They are beautiful. They are really, really beautiful. Ah, it's beautiful. Sometime in the beginning of February, during that really awful, depressing, endless final leg of winter, I started craving cigarettes. I wanted to roll them out of zigzag papers and drum tobacco like I did when I was a teenager, standing by myself in some desolate field in southeastern Manitoba, trying to find a little comfort in the act of inhaling nicotine and tar and blowing cool patterns of smoke rings into the darkness. Smoking wasn't something I did to be cool when I was a kid. I almost always made a point of doing it by myself, alone, outside of town, and in the dark. But now I'm a mother of teenagers myself. Teenagers who have been raised in a city and who have way better things to do with their evenings than roam through ditches. Teenagers who think smoking is stupid and passe. And I didn't want them to know, and I really didn't want my husband to know that I was thinking of smoking again. Neil had quit a year ago. It was the hardest thing he'd ever done, and I didn't want to be responsible for weakening his resolve. But it was a hard time of the winter. Not unbearably hard, though, just hard in the typical way that minus 40 temperatures and 20 hours of darkness for days and days and days on end with no relief in sight is hard. And maybe also, possibly, in the way that being 40 and watching your kids turn into adults and your parents become fragile and your youth slip away is hard. Not a big deal. Definitely nothing original and almost a cliché. I was functioning fine, helping my kids with their problems, trying to keep things lighthearted and fun, making meals, doing my work, socializing with friends, all that stuff. But all the while, I was dying for a smoke. I spent a few days consumed with the thought of buying a pouch of tobacco, and I tried to convince myself that it was a stupid thing to do. I remembered how hard it was to kick the habit as a kid, and how expensive it is, and how essentially unattractive it is. But eventually, one evening, I told my husband and my kids that I was going to return a video, and I'd be back in a bit. And I went out and bought the stuff. I felt excited, stupid, and kind of pathetic at the same time, but also pretty happy. I drove to the parking lot of the strip mall near my house and parked in the empty parking lot. I kept the minivan running so I wouldn't freeze to death, but I opened my window a crack and put my seat back to an almost completely prone position. I listened to a CD left in the player, my kid's copy of the notorious B.I.G.'s Ready to Die. So for the next few days I'd return to the parking lot. I'd roll my cigarette and sit or sort of lie there in the dark and smoke. It felt good and familiar, like being reunited with an old friend, falling easily into a conversation we'd started 20 years ago. Sometimes I'd think I'd seen someone I knew, and I'd feel kind of weird, hoping they hadn't recognized me just sitting in my dark van, smoking and staring into the distance. 
I didn't really think about much while I was smoking. I didn't think about the things I was supposed to be doing or the things I had forgotten to do. I just tried to relax and empty my brain of everything except nicotine and tar and smoke and music and darkness. It was kind of like being asleep, sort of like letting go and not caring about things for a few minutes. Or maybe it was just the feeling of being alone with my own sadness that I liked. That thought has occurred to me, and it's not a debilitating sadness. Just one that makes smoking alone at the age of 40 in the darkness of a frozen strip mall parking lot a very logical thing to be doing. I did this for a couple of weeks, not every day, but a few times a week. I stashed my pouch of tobacco and papers in the little drawer beneath the passenger seat in the minivan. And then one evening, I was in the kitchen getting dinner ready, and Neil came in from outside holding my bag of tobacco. He told me he had just found it, that he was looking for something else, and he couldn't figure it out, whose it could be. He was pretty sure it belonged to one of our kids' friends, or maybe our kids, or even worse, maybe our kids were mixing it with pot. Neil called the kids into the kitchen. I couldn't stand by like some kind of coward and let my kids be interrogated, or allow my husband to humiliate himself by acting like a cop. So I just said, as casually as I could, Okay, hey, listen, it's mine, all right? I told my husband that I didn't want him to start smoking again, too. That's why I kept it a secret. And he had a kind of shocked look on his face. And my kids, who were standing in the kitchen doorway now, were looking at me all puzzled with only vaguely disgusted expressions. And I felt like an idiot, really. Or like a kid being caught doing something bad. So I launched into this speech. How I'm 40 years old, and how I was so completely responsible in every other way, running the household, paying the bills, driving everyone around, being ultra-dependable every day, every day, every day. And if I want to smoke a damn cigarette every once in a blue moon, I will. End of story. So, that was pretty much it. My husband made a few jokes about it, said I should just smoke openly if I felt like it, not to worry about him. And my kids dismissed the whole thing as just another episode in the domestic sitcom of their lives. And the whole thing could be chalked up as a farce, really, as a confession of a 40-year-old minivan-driving, busy mother of teenagers, daughter of aging parents, happily married closet nicotine addict who has to skulk around secretly because smoking is bad and stupid and everyone knows it. But really, when I think hard about my confession that evening, it was something else, something much different that I was owning up to, something way deeper than just a nicotine craving and something that most mothers don't really want to confess to their kids, especially. I was really confessing to emptiness. Nothing insurmountable, nothing exceptional, nothing new in this world, but a kind of indefinable, low-grade sadness. Something brought on by natural things. Darkness, winter, thoughts of mortality. No big deal. But smoking alone in dark parking lots, or alone at night in big dirt fields on the edge of your hometown, is, I think, like giving in a little to the sadness. Opening yourself up to it a little, not entirely, and not for very long, but just for long enough to give it credence, and to take charge of it for a while, and put all my sadness, or angst, or whatever you want to call it, into my cigarette, and smoke it, and savor it, and then throw it out the window and get back to doing the routine things the sociable things, feeling a little better for incorporating some of the darkness into my routine in my own way.
Hey, Josh. Yeah, what's up? This week's episode of the sh of the radio show uh, is all about confessions. All right. And uh, do you have anything that you that you'd like to confess? I have no desire to have my private confessions broadcast on the nation's public airwaves. No desire for that. Absolutely. I'm with you. I mean, no, you're not with me. I'm clearly, no, because every time you call me up in this sort of a context, you end up taping me surreptitiously, as I'm assuming you are doing now. Aren't you? Aren't you? You are. I have, there's no trust here, John. I'm sure a man of your intelligence is well aware of the healing powers of, of the confessional. No, I mean, you, you, one feels good after having confessed to something, don't you find? Uh, you know, that may be, John, but, but you know... Hey, wait a second. You, didn't you once tell me um, that you went through this period where you weren't dating anyone and, like, that whole, like, tickling story? Doesn't that ring a bell? Ring a bell? That's a private, private thing. I have no desire... What's wrong with you? Oh, come on, for crying out loud. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a funny little story. I can barely remember the details. You shouldn't be ashamed. It's very funny. It's a very funny story. What, what do you mean funny? Why does it have to be funny? No, I mean, it's, it's cute. It's a cute story. First of all, nothing about me is cute. Please, come on. Uh, all right. Um, look, you know, uh, I, I used to, when I was, uh, you know, when I was alone, I wasn't in a relationship or anything. I would get my hand to fall asleep, and, and, and then I would, you know, use it to tickle myself. Like, say more? Explain that? I would, I, you know, I, I, I would, well, I mean, the reason I, I numbed it like that mm -hmm. is because when it's asleep, it, I don't know if you ever touched yourself with, 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 with your hand when it's asleep, but it, it, it doesn't feel like your own. Right. Right? It, feel, it feels like someone else is touching you. Mm. And I would just, you know, I don't know, I would, I would tickle myself, sort of the, the halfway up my arm and, you know, around my chest a little bit. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, you know, I, 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 I was able to, to envision, you know, I closed my eyes and I, and I thought, you know, there's a woman there with me and horsing around, yeah. you know, come on, stop, stop, no, you don't like it when I'm tickling you. <laughs> and you actually make yourself giggle, like when you're doing it? I, I suppose, maybe chortle, uh -huh. more appropriate. I mean, I just, I just feel less alone, you know. I feel like there's, there's a woman right next to me, you know, and we're just, we're playing around. Like, into, you know, it's all about intimacy. Mm. What, what? Is, it, you've never had that? You've never done that? I haven't, no. But, um, but that, oh, that, I don't believe you. But that isn't the, the point. Is that you've, you've confessed something to me? Yeah. And so, I mean, are you, are you now basking in the, in the uh, rosy glow of, uh, of fellowship? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't like thinking about you in a rosy glow, but I, I, I mean, I suppose I am. It's nice to, I don't know, I mean, who else can I talk about this with, you know? It's, you see? It's nice, right? Yeah, yeah I guess it's, it's, it's nice, you know? Right. And, um, and, I mean, it's just between you and me.
On Wiretap today, you heard Richard Rappaport, Joshua Carpati, and Miriam Taves reading from her work, Wiretap Confession. The anonymous confessions you heard at the beginning of today's show were taken from notproud.com, the website of real confessions. Special thanks to notproud.com and to everyone who read a confession. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. You can reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap.